Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. I'm Dr. Ray, and you're watching the 5445 show. Having these conversations points out to you in good ways and bad ways that you might be coping. That's right. You know what That's I mean? Right. Because you're not outside of yourself to look mm. and be the judge of whether or not you're handling it well. I think that if each one of us look into ourselves and really ask that question. I, that will alleviate some of the hostility and animosity between family members who are Muslims and non-Muslims at the time of death and burial. We have to think outside of the box in serving the Muslim community. And so today, alhamdulillah, I have a special guest here with me, uh, a brother named Kamal Muhammad. He's a recent graduate from NYU, and alhamdulillah, I feel like he's a brother with such an interesting and compelling story that I asked him to come on to the show. Uh, Jazakallah khairan. Thank you for coming in today, alhamdulillah. No, I really you. appreciate it. And so, you and I met uh, maybe about a month ago, yeah. and uh, this was at a, a disabilities event for Muhsin. And I realized that you were signing to a brother in the audience uh, who cannot hear. Right. And then I learned your story a little bit, that you also have uh, two parents uh, who are deaf. And so I was so intrigued, uh, alhamdulillah, by what your story must be. Uh, being a child of two parents who cannot hear, but you yourself can. Right. And you kind of live in two worlds. And so I feel like your story is one that we don't always get the benefit of hearing. And so can you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, your parents' history and how they met, all of those kinds of things, what exactly their conditions are, if they're different from each other? Sure, so my father's from Egypt and my mother's from Panama and my mother grew up here. Now the difference between them two is that my father was born deaf, whereas my mother, she had meningitis at a young age, right? And both of them had similar educational backgrounds uh, in regards to like how they learn how to read and write. Uh, and I think around, around my father was around like in his 20s, he moved to Egypt. He moved from Egypt to New York and met my mother through uh, this gathering, the social gathering, which is called the Deaf Club, which is very known in the deaf community, where deaf people meet up and go and basically hang out and, and socialize with each other. And my mother, she wasn't Muslim at the time. Okay. So, and my father was just trying to meet other deaf uh, people to socialize and or somebody, or one of his friends introduced him to that. And from there they, they, they met and got married and yeah, that's how I went, that's how it worked. Alhamdulillah. So, you know, one of the things that I was curious about uh, for you as a young man, what was it like to, to grow up uh, with deaf parents in the sense that in order for you to communicate with them, you had to learn sign language, I imagine, on some level, or some other form of communication with them. And so what, what is it like as a, as a young, young boy, as far back as you can think of, to be learning this style of communication? It's definitely not easy. Uh, growing up, I, obviously you can tell that my childhood was not a normal childhood. Uh, one, and the first language that, that you said, you know, funny that you said it, the first language that actually was taught to me or actually that I knew was sign language. So my mother used to tell me when I was probably around two months, that's when my, that's when they would start seeing me, you know, teaching me basic signs like mom, dad, milk, you know, just to like tell them like when if I was hungry, if I was like upset. And at a certain age, I think around 
still like in the toddler phase, that's when my parents put me into school, like a pre-daycare school, and that's where they taught me English. And that's where I learned English from that because the teachers that worked there also knew sign. So when they would teach me, they would teach sign and speak at the same time. So now I know how to connect the words with the sign that, so that's, subhanAllah, that's, that's, how, that's how they taught me. And over time growing up, it was definitely, it was definitely tough because not a lot of places back in the day provided interpreters for my parents, so I had to be the one interpreting. Uh, whereas it'd be at doctor's appointments, uh, meetings, or even just phone calls, you know? Sometimes my parents, or especially my father, he would need me to go call, you know, hey, I need you to make a doctor's appointment, I need you to call this and that. And sometimes using what they had was called the TTY, it was frustrating, so I remember making phone calls and first, like, you know, eight years old, then nine, ten years old. Yeah, so it, it's, it's, it's been difficult. But now, alhamdulillah, things got a lot better now. Yeah, and so, but, you know, there's two things that you mentioned that really stood out to me. One is that your experience uh, learning sign language growing up first uh, and then learning spoken English is a lot like, you know, my wife and I, alhamdulillah, we try to teach our children Arabic first uh -huh. because the assumption is they're going to learn English later. Right. And so... You were learning a language not unlike many multilingual children yeah. learn their languages at home, right? And so in that instance, like, it, it's unique, but there's a parallel. Right. But the second thing that you, that you had mentioned is, you know, one of these concepts that we talk about, and I don't mean it to pathologize your experience, right? Because it doesn't sound like it was a pathologized experience, right? But we, we talk about in psychology, the parentified child. Right. Where um, for some reason, the child has to step into the parental role. Right. And so you having the responsibility at a young age of having to communicate for your parents. Right. Uh, it wasn't because your parents usually when we talk about the parentified child is because, you know, our parents haven't matured enough. They're irresponsible in some kind of way. You know what I mean? They, they might be on drugs or have some mental health issue or they're not ready to parent. And that's not what your parents issue was. Right. I think yours is, again, to draw some level of parallel, when parents come over from a foreign country not speaking the language and their children are the ones to pick it up first in school, the children become similar concepts. Yeah, yeah, you, you know, in that sense. And so, you know, while you're, I wanted to capture the uniqueness of your story, but as you tell it, you know what I mean? Like, it's not so removed. The context is, is unique, right? But it is also, I think, a relatable experience to many other people who might not have assumed otherwise they can relate to and it. And I think that's because it's like you mentioned, I think they're just fixated on the hearing impairment. They're like, oh, this is a whole nother world. It's completely different. But in reality, most of the, most, most deaf people live the same lives as, as hearing people. And there's a saying with amongst the deaf community is, we can do anything and everything that you guys can do except hear. Yes. You know? Like, for instance, like, you know, my, alhamdulillah, my parents, you know, they they did well for my sister and I, you know, the homeowner. My father was a business uh, business owner. He retired young. You know, things like that. You know, a lot of people who are not familiar with the deaf community or, or have met people who are deaf, they have that, you know, pre-notion. They're like, oh, because of their disability, that it holds them back from, you know, reaching their potential. And that's completely false. 
but how did your parents, what, what did you find within your parents, especially growing up? Because there is a certain level of perseverance, right, that your parents have to have. Anybody who's faced with any kind of challenge, right? But for your parents to be so successful, that means that, you know, alhamdulillah, Allah blessed them. This is a favor from Allah. Uh, and after that, right, Allah put something in them that they were cultivating and growing. What did you see in them that led them to be so successful? I know for my father, because, you know, mashallah, my father, he's, he's like my role model. He, you know, some days when, I, when I'm struggling or when, you know, living out here in New York or going to school or working and, you know, sometimes I have down times, you know, I feel down. And But seeing how my father and knowing what he went through, yeah, that kind of reinforced, you know, my faith and my man and my courage to say, look, if my father can do it, alhamdulillah, I can do it. And and I think for my father, I don't know exactly, but based off my story, based off the stories that he told me, it was completely his faith in Allah. He just accepted what Allah, because no my if you ever met my father, he always say, alhamdulillah, being deaf is from Allah. Yeah. It's a naman from Allah. Sure, like this, he's not gonna lie. Yeah, there's sometimes he wishes that he would want to hear, he could yes. hear, but he knows that this is from Allah and he accepts it. So that is definitely something that pushes him. And because he knows that people have that notion that, okay, deaf people can't do X, Y, and Z because of their, their hearing impairment, that motivates him to prove them wrong. And so, you know, that leads me actually into a question, right? Which is about, about faith. You know, when we, when we think about Allah testing us in trials, and certainly deafness is a trial. Sure. And it's a, it's a, it's a very strong trial, yeah. right? You know, how important is Iman? Because a lot of people, when Allah tries you with something, they get angry at Allah, they get disappointed with Allah, they get frustrated with Allah, uh, especially if they feel like Allah is not answering their du'a fast enough. And so, again, I, you know, I wish your father was here because I feel like I'm asking you a lot of questions about, about him. You know, before your mother and your father, how did Iman help them? And not just to say that they had it, right. right? Because Iman can be something that you have, but it is also something that you have to continue to cultivate. And so, yes, you said their Iman helped them, but what were they doing to continue to keep that, the flame of their Iman burning to get them through it? I think one big aspect is obviously like patience. You know, my parents are very patient people. And I guess having kids, you know, my sister and I, so that's something that they want to send an example for us. And, and to go back on patients, you know, they know that, alhamdulillah, because they, they, they work as a team. Yes. They understand that, hey, look, that we are at a, at a disadvantage. Yes. So we work together, we put our resources together and, and work as a team. And then obviously instill that love, you know, to my sister and I, it'll help them a lot. I think it also helped to have kids like my sister and I to help him. <laughs> I mean, not because it's because it's, no, it's true because it's really love for you. Yeah, because it, it, it's because not because they just like all families, not every family is gonna have patience. <clears throat> and, and mind you, this it, it you, you it does in, in, you know require patience to to be able to deal with this type of uh, 
like this lifestyle or like just to live or live with parents who are deaf because there's some things like I said growing up as a child like you definitely they instill that that patience in us and that respect as well so respect is a big thing you know it's obviously people just assume like yeah kids are just gonna respect their parents but it's on another level when you realize that you know your parents are not the same as other parents yeah. so for, for for instance I know my sister and I us being a big part of the of the house and the family and, and you know our daily routine and their daily routine it helped them it made them feel because it's not like that in every family especially this deaf family it's true. not like that or I'm not only going to just say deaf family probably regular family you know what I'm saying so having my sister and I as a support definitely made and then mind you they we they support us way more than we support them so I don't want people to think that okay that we're like like you said we're like the, the parents where we're taking care of our parents no no they're taking care of because I wouldn't be here in NYU or New York or doing what I'm doing if it wasn't for my parents 100% you know but you know going back to that issue of the you know the added responsibility that you have just because of the circumstance how did you now and you also said alhamdulillah that Allah blessed your parents with you guys as children meaning I take it as you're relatively easy children no but they raised us Right. They okay. Raised us to where it was. It wasn't difficult for us. To, Got it. You no, know, they raised us right. Okay. Alhamdulillah. Because that's what I was wondering. And so I imagine that there are times when it was difficult for you. You know, when it was a little overwhelming to be on the calls and to, you know what I mean, to do those things. How did how did you? get through it because you described them as being patient but you at that very young age was learning patience from them how did you do it oh what were you saying to yourself what were you thinking all of that stuff i think you know it's funny to say like growing up i didn't really think i just thought like okay i'm just doing this for my parents <laughs> no seriously it's no different than no I, I mean now grown like you know you know like now I look back and reflect, I'm like, man, that was tough. Yeah. And the situations that I, that I was in. But back then when I was like, you know, in middle school mm -hmm. or like as young as like in fifth grade or I didn't really think much about it. I was like, all right, I guess I have to go, you know, mm -hmm. do this for my dad, do this for my mom. But yeah, sure. Like I would like, dang, I wish I would go hang out with my friends and go out and play yeah. basketball. Like, of course, as a little kid, every kid's thinking that. But at the same time, I was like, all right, I'm doing it for, I'm doing it for mom. I'm doing it for dad. It's whatever. But now, growing up, I'm thinking like, man, it was a, it was a big difference. Yeah. It was like, it was huge. You can really appreciate the seriousness of what it of was we're doing for them as of a Of course. Child. But to me, that that feels like a ni'mah from Allah as well. That he didn't make the burden heavy for. He made it seem light. You think yeah. of Ibrahim salam, where Allah told the fire to be cool, right? right? That that Allah had ordained for you to live this life and this experience but he made it easy for you even as a young child not to and again when we talk about the parentification of the child those children usually wind up resenting their parents for not being more effective if you were more effective I would be able to do this and go that or if you would get your act together I wouldn't have to be here you know what I mean and and for you Allah bless you that you never felt that I mean not only me to my parents Alhamdulillah and one thing to add is Another factor was that growing up, we were very much immersed in the deaf culture. Yeah. So we understood, my sister and I at a very young age, we understood the frustrations that deaf people face. Yeah. So that helped us. And alhamdulillah, like, because of what we went through with our parents, it helped mature us a lot quickly. So it made us understand, okay, we 
we shouldn't be complaining or we don't it, like I said it, just, it was like second nature says yeah. okay yeah if mama needs us to go do something or dad needs to go do it okay we go and do it without question and mind you sure like my sister and I will take turns like no you gotta go do it sometimes and you know sure yeah. but it was all out of pure love and respect for our parents like we didn't even think twice if they needed something we go do it but like I said it's what you mentioned 100% is definitely a blessing from Allah to make it easy throughout our whole lives you all cooperated so much with each other yeah yeah it, it sounds like when we talk about the family being a unit yeah it sounds like you all you are the example alhamdulillah of a family being a unit because when i when i think about you know, you all functioning as a unit i think of what you mentioned earlier about how your parents cooperated with each other so well and how they were, you mentioned the word team several times. And can you just talk about in your, in your experience of watching your parents over the years, how important it is, not just for anyone challenged with any kind of physical disability or limitation, but, but even typical hearing, families, couples, anybody, anybody in a relationship the importance of learning how to cooperate with each other to be successful. So my dad, you probably go hear me say like my dad a lot, my dad, because I learned a lot from my father growing up. Uh, so one thing that he used to always tell me, like, you know, the keys to like a, a successful marriage, and obviously as a result of a successful marriage will produce a successful family unit, right? So he mentioned, so he mentioned three things, like, and I, that it stuck with me like till now. So when I decided to go pursue uh, a, per, you know, individual for marriage, that he explained, he said it was respect, trust and communication right and people think like yeah they all like intertwined but no they're each separate thing and that's something that my parents had with each other from from day one and alhamdulillah i think growing up i don't i rarely saw them argue it's always nothing but love respect communication you know my father he's currently in egypt and i know my mother she's like missing him you know always texting, <laughs> like things like that but when it came to like raising the children or when it came to uh just like the day-to-day -day lives like you know the bills or 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 just just taking care of just the regular thing they always communicate with each other i always always watch them sit at the table the dinner table talking to each other discussing like what needs to be done or what you know they never kept anything from each other they're that, planning with planning they're checking in with each other right like because when we say communication uh, and i've had this happen in couples counseling where people say oh we communication is not our issue we talk all the time but talking is not necessarily communicating when you're shouting over each other when you don't have a strategy when one is talking and just listening waiting for their turn or to refute the other person that's talking but that's not necessarily communicating is real cooperation between exactly right making sure that you're on the same page with each other going forward with the plan you know what i mean like it's, it's very specific and alhamdulillah you said that your parents were able to do this say my parents marriage is perfect no and no and none was the prophet sallallahu his marriage wasn't perfect either but his marriage wasn't perfect to show us how to handle the imperfections it couldn't be perfect you know what i mean because we would have no benchmark to judge ourselves against right. alhamdulillah now i might have missed it but can i go back to this question that i asked you like how did your parents cultivate their iman what did they do and say to to help keep their iman strong so it was definitely like it was us my sister and i you know having the respect and understanding the the deaf culture and understanding and because since we grew up and we were introduced to, a deaf, to the deaf culture at a young age 
we were able to understand the difficulty and the frustrations that, that my parents went through. So that helped. Now, mind you, I guess if you want to say Iman wise, they always put their trust in Allah. And mind you, at that time, their education of Islam or understanding of Islam wasn't compared to where it is now, yeah. right? Because of the lack of like resources they had in understanding their deen. But definitely having us being part of that, that strong family unit that you said, they knew that was a blessing from Allah. So they knew that, that and so they definitely pursued that and they, they maintained that. You know, but so we haven't talked a whole lot about your mother. And so can you tell us a little bit about her story and, you know, what example she set for you as well? So my mother is, mashallah, my mother, she is so my father is is tough actual like he, he shows his toughness yeah. my mother shows her toughness inside, inside right and i don't know how to explain it it's just because if you know her story you know she came from a family in, in panama where kind of looked down on her disability yeah. so and that was something that she had to struggle with and so i know that going back to like you know having my sister and I being like there and be supportive at all, at, you know, for her, you know, everything that she needs regardless, because that's how a kid's supposed to be for a mother, their mothers anyway. That helped her, that helped her a lot with her, amen. But she's, her and my father are like a well balanced. Like she brings like the, the, the nurture, you know, the, you know, the caring, the loving, and my father just keeps it real. Like he just comes in and just kept it real. And if you ever talk to my sister, she'll tell you like, well, we can have stories about my father, but my mother, she was just like, you know, probably one of the sweetest women you ever meet. And she would, she would, she, she taught us a lot about ourselves and about respecting others and understanding others and what, that you will meet other people who, who are here. And, and she kind of depended, she, she kind of wanted us to definitely bring like awareness to this issue yeah to, to to especially like my friends and all that so can you talk about that what was it like to be living in two communities right and so for your friends did you did you have a group of friends that was deaf and a group of friends that could hear and did they mix or you know what i mean so growing up back in high school middle school back in florida because i'm from from florida by the way uh, I never had deaf friends. So I guess you could say the deaf people that I knew or friends were the friends of my parents. Got it. Uh, I never really met any deaf people in my age group. Yeah. Uh, probably met one in college, but rarely. But I, but like I said, I was very much involved in both communities. Obviously, like outside from my house. Yeah. So when my father would go take me to events or like barbecues, they were mostly. A, um, yeah. amongst deaf people yes. so definitely understand this like i said it's a completely different culture between the two Outside. deaf and hearing just like it just in general just like the etiquette just like even the sense of humor the jokes like <laughs> you know like understanding like certain deaf jokes in in the deaf community in the deaf community like a person who's hearing will not find them funny or will just want to understand them me i understand the both yeah, yeah. so you know like sometimes like my father would crack a joke and i would translate it to my friends my friend would be like what i don't get it <laughs> so i'm like all right yeah exactly like yeah you're, that's not funny i was like yeah you just don't get it you know so things like that or just just in general just how conversations go uh you know it, it, it's 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 hard to explain because you have to like see it firsthand yeah. and understand it and it doesn't take like an hour or two days like it takes you know some period of time to understand like okay now this is how things are being conducted in the deaf way or it's, it's completely it's not completely different but it's there are differences there yeah. are things that stand there's out some learning there's some learning 100 percent. yeah of course right, and so can you talk about 
how much of a learning experience it must have been for your friends uh, to spend time with you and your family at home? So most of my friends, they they would mostly they would just communicate with body language, like you know they'll just. Mouth out the words to say how are you, give them a thumbs up or things like that. And my father, he knows how to like find a way to express himself to where they can kind of understand. But now, like currently, I do have a friend who actually learned sign language. (laughs) Right. So like he's one of my good friends who actually learned sign language. So he communicates with my parents probably just as much as as I do you know actually my parents get they get excited so when they FaceTime me and that's how my parents and I face like communicate with each other we text and most of we FaceTime each other they always ask for him like hey, okay we're done talking to you. let's talk to him because they were so excited to have a friend or like a oh, like one of Kamal's friends can sign so we can talk to them and, and tell them like how it is you know it just, so it definitely like that's something that I know my parents wanted to have we want to build that connection you know they want to build connection with their children through their through their friends you know yeah. So, but mostly growing up, like in high school, they, it was just simple conversations, you know, hey, how you doing? How's your mom? And then when my parents would cook meals for them, my, most of my friends knew how to say thank you and they would just sign thank you. It was very simple, basic signs, nothing deep. Like they, would, they wouldn't have conversations. But that's, still, but that's still a lot for someone sure. coming from an environment where everyone's hearing. Right. Right. And so, but it sounds like to me, like they just dove right into it. Like this is normal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this is. He, just expected they knew. That's right. You yeah. know what I mean? And so, alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that, right? Yeah. Because uh, when you talked about, in some in some sense, you said that your mother wanted you uh, to raise awareness around this. Of course. To, to be uh, uh, ambassadors. Not only that, she taught us, well, her and my father. Cause so, growing up, we were never ashamed of our yes. parents. So, instantly, when people would meet my parents, like, yeah, that's my parents, they're deaf, yeah. right away. So, let's get that out the way. Like, yeah, my parents are deaf, this and that. So, they knew that right away. And my parents were very, very proud, especially my father, because, like I said, they both accepted that this was something from Allah. Mm-hmm. So, there's blessings in it. So, they're going to accept it. So, it was very easy for me to, you know, sometimes it, a lot of people will just see me. They're like, well, I didn't expect that from you. Like, well, I mean, you know, it doesn't happen a certain bit. Like, it's what, whatever happens, happens. So sometimes they'll catch me signing. or they didn't expect that I knew sign language or, you know, so definitely right away, I would always give them the one-on-one, explain to them, like, yeah, you know, they're deaf, you know, you know, the background and there's a certain, here's some simple signs. If you want to say, hi, thank you, how are you? Things like that. So those, and that's how they would converse with each other. You know, we run around every day with all of us being so similar to each other that we take for granted that we don't have unique stories. You know what I mean? When you say that people are reacting to you, they're surprised. Yeah. It's because like, oh, he's just one of us. Right. And that, that goes to show how much you can be one of us and still unique. You know what I mean? That, that we take for granted that we don't have our own stories. Or even just looking at a person and then saying, hey, how are you, brother? And then it turns out that person's deaf. They can't hear. They can't hear. And then, and, then, and then for some people, they would react, you know, positively like, oh, hey, how are you doing? And try to converse or communicate. Some people would just get scared and just, you know, oh, okay. And then and they just walk away. And it happened to my parents yeah. many times, you know, many times. So that's, that's, that's another thing why my mother was like, you know, this, you know, push that. And what should we be doing when we're in a situation where we've come up to someone or someone's come up to us who can't hear? Don't be scared. Don't make it awkward, I guess. Like, you know, if if you're in another country 
and or, or or you here in America and you come across somebody that doesn't speak a language, you're not gonna be like, oh, okay, sorry, and then yeah. it just leave the person and yeah. you know stand. Yeah. You're right. You know, you're gonna make some type of effort. So it's the same concept. Because yeah. I think a lot of people get caught up in the hearing and not realize that okay, they are just they're speaking a different language. Yes. So don't even think that they're deaf. Think okay, they don't understand whatever language that I, I speak. See. So Sense. so the way and usually if you realize you would kind of communicate with somebody who doesn't speak the same language as you, similar to the way you will probably speak with a person who's deaf, through hand motion, to yes, body language, yes. to gestures, right? So yes. it's the same concept. So so if if that's definitely one tip to and especially for our Muslim brothers and sisters, because we do have Muslim, uh, deaf Muslim brothers and sisters in our massages. Yeah. And they do, you know, look at the masjid as a secret, you know, a place of refuge to, to be involved in the community. Because a lot of them do want to get involved and a lot of them are being discouraged from being involved because they feel like they're being ostracized or they're being like pushed away or because like people are hesitant or they're scared or they don't know, you know, because they don't know how to communicate. If you try to communicate, they're definitely be much more positive to like teach you and, and 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 find ways to like build like a bridge between the two definitely and so what can what can the massage do to be more aware inclusive accommodating to the needs of the deaf well first understand that there are people yeah. that are deaf in your community just because they're not there in your message doesn't mean that they're non-existent and that's not only for deaf people, that's for people who are who have different disabilities in yeah. general yeah uh, so obviously the one thing that meshes the Muslim community in general lack the most in comparison to other religious communities like the Christian community and the Judy, uh, the Jewish community is interpreters. Yeah. They don't have interpreters for the khutbahs. Yeah. They don't have interpreters for their lectures or halakas. Yeah. Right. So that's a big problem because like I said, the masjid is a hub for learning and knowledge, and it's for it's definitely going to be a place of refuge for deaf Muslims to come to understand how to get close to Allah. And if they don't have an interpreter to build that, how are they ever going to understand and learn That's that? Right. So obviously, just like us, you know, we're not going to learn the deen without the scholars and we're yeah. without. Like, so that's what they need to it. But they need somewhere in the middle to bring, the, like I said, the bridge that gap. Yeah. So I know, for instance, like one thing that I struggle with, and that's like an issue with me, since my, me and my family and I are living in two separate states. When I was living in Florida, I used to interpret the khutbah for my father. So I would sit down and I would interpret it. And obviously, the message didn't realize that, but I don't think they thought that, okay, I was going to be leaving anytime soon. <laughs> but so now, like today, today's Juma, I know in my head, I know like, man, you know, I'm sad. It sucks because I know my father's sitting yeah. in the khutbah not knowing what's going on. Still, still, yeah, they, they don't have interpreters. That's an issue. And sometimes my sister would go and she would just write down yeah. what the khutbah was about in the sister section. And then after the, the masjid, uh, after Juma, they will meet up yeah. and she would just give them the yeah. summary. But what's going on that even, I mean, I imagine your family has been members of this community for some time. But it goes, but it goes back to they're members, but they're not... People don't take the time to know to get to know who my father is. Yeah. So it was more of like, okay, hey, this is brother Ahmed. Hey, how you doing? Shakes the hand, and they just move on their day. You know, I don't, and, I, and like I said, it, it, I'm not gonna blame them because there is a lack of education in regards to you know just deaf awareness or just disability awareness yeah. in general in our community. What stops your family after a Juma 
going to the community, going to the imam, going to the board and saying, hey, here's the service that we need. Is there, has that, has that ever happened or have they been getting pushed back around it or what? No, there's not a getting pushed back. It's, well, the, 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 I mean, they, they haven't asked multiple massages, it's just this masjid, yeah. and obviously that masjid, they have their own issues like funding and all that. Because like the way my dad looked at it, it was just, I don't know, so like, like he's like, all right, whatever, it's like that. Yeah. Like it was almost like a sign of defeat. Yeah. Because it, it, cause in comparison to like the, the Muslim communities in the Middle East and the Arab countries where they do have deaf interpreters, uh, so, oh, sorry, sign language interpreters. Yes. That's something that he was kind of like discouraged when he saw that was something that they lacked here. But there's a lot of things that go with interpreting that kind of makes it kind of difficult. Me personally, interpreting the khutbas and halakas, I know that it won't be easy for non-Muslim to come and just, to yeah. come and just oh, yeah, interpret. So mm -hmm. that one thing, you know, having them just come in and just interpret, a lot of the content will be missing. Yeah. Because there is a lot of Arabic yeah. uh, verbiage that's being used, and a person who is not Muslim is just going to just completely just ignore that, try their best, and it's going to lose translation of the message. So me as a deaf person sitting down, the viewer, he's going to be like, what? What's going on? And that's yeah. just... so. There's a lot of issues, a lot of factors that, that goes on in how to properly go about doing this. But the first step is just get interpreters in general. That says to me is I'm thinking and, and always my entrepreneurial spirit, right? Like, we need to work together to raise money for this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if, if we were to raise money to pay to train and to train interpreters and then assign them to Masajid, go and sit with the Masajid and say, we have the money, we have the people who want to do it, we just want you to be willing to cooperate with us to get it done. Right? right? Like it takes this kind of uh, initiative to really push. Definitely. Because your father, the way that you described your father, you know, it's surprising that he's kind of just accepted this as a reality, but might that speak to just the weight of kind of having to constantly advocate for yourself and yeah. you know what I mean like everything is a challenge and it says something about the importance of the masjid being proactive yeah you know what I mean like somebody from the masjid saying hey brother you know what I mean like should we do this do we need this I remember once in the masjid uh, there was a brother sleeping in the masjid and I would come to the masjid now I'm not from you know like I'm from Atlantic City and so I'm, I'm in Atlantic City only every once in a while but when I would go at night I would see that a brother would show up at a certain time and you know make him, himself a space to sleep and after the second day of seeing it I said listen I don't want to insult you but like do you need anything are you all right you like I feel insensitive you know, like, I want to respect your situation and not a true, but at the same time, you're my brother. It's not right for me to see it and, like, not ask, like, is there anything I can do? You know what I mean? And it, I think it takes for our massage to say, to not wait. Right. You know what I mean? To say, hey, listen, what can we do? Do we need anything? I think that was the one thing that struck me so much about the need for Morrison. You know what I mean? Because it doesn't occur to you that we need to even advocate. No, you're absolutely right. The, and that's an issue because they don't, Massages are not thinking to, I think, and I think that shows you how much being insensitive or maybe the lack of understanding or maybe the lack of education. I think it just goes back to education or understanding that there are people yeah. that are like this in your community because 
because I remember you brought up Mustin, and I know some people who are part of Mustin, and when they go visit massages to try to make them uh, certified, yeah. the first thing is say, oh, we don't have people like this in our community. <laughs> so that's, and that's very unfortunate. So, it, you know, it's very ignorant too, because like I said, they just, a lot, a lot of them also come from, or I don't want to generalize, but the, that lack of understanding and education also might play a role depending on where part of the world that they're from. Because like I said, it goes back to my mother, her family, you know, not everybody in her, my mother's family, but there, there are some people in her family that look down upon her because of their disability, you know, whereas on my father's side of family, it was the opposite. So, and that's probably one of the things that helped my mother embrace Islam too. So, so when she saw that, because they, she come, she embraced Islam two years after they they were married. They got they were married in '87. So I think around those two years, my mother flew to Egypt to visit, you know, her in-laws and my my, my father's, you know, brothers and sisters, and, and she saw how completely different dynamics. You know, my my parents' family, my dad's family, they don't know sign language, but they know how to communicate with each other through body gestures. They always involve him. They always involved in like, you know, decision making on like family matters. So my mother saw that it was different and obviously she knew that Islam played a role in it. Alhamdulillah. But you know, that, that again, so first of all, Allah has blessed your family so much. You know what I mean? In the sense that not only are your parents united and you are united with your parents, but your parents' parents are also. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it says a lot, you know what I mean? Because one of the one of the compelling stories that I wanted to tell was also from another brother who was at the Muhsin event who talked about his parents not knowing how to interact with him. Right. You know what I mean? And, and look, there was no one to teach his parents to, how. You know what I mean? Not to say, because we don't always want to make it blameworthy. The, the Masajid are not as aware, right? And so they don't provide as much resources. The parents are not as aware, so they don't provide as much resources. But it's not necessarily always be coming from a malicious place or that's taboo or there's something wrong with them or anything like that. It's sometimes because sometimes it's when you don't know, you just avoid it. You avoid, exactly. you, you avoid it because I don't know what to say or do and it's just easier for me. Let me just walk away before something goes wrong or you know, so so alhamdulillah, I think I think that it says a lot. Number one, about you said a lot about how important it is for families to be one, to be united, to be on the same page, to engage each other, to figure out how to make it work because you can, right? But then also the need for us, number one, to educate families, right? But then number two, to continue to educate and engage the massaging. Because I say a lot, and this was actually an issue that came up, uh, I was talking to uh, an imam a few weeks ago. And he talked about people who have combative relationships with the Aemma. And what I mean by that is, especially when we created the show, the show was around advocating us as members of the community, going to the Masajid and say, here's our expertise, here's our speciality. Can we bring this service to benefit the community? You're not a firefighter. You're not an accountant. You're not, uh, you know, a therapist. You're not a judge. You're not a lawyer, but I'm a judge. I'm a lawyer. I'm an accountant. I'm a therapist. How can I help lift some of the burden that I know the people are coming to you with? And what this Imam was saying is that this person that he was talking about always has a more combative you know, we need to 
you know, the, the, we need to get the imams out of, you know, this position of doing that and get them out of this position of doing this. And sometimes I feel like they get a bad rap for not doing a good job in the position they're thrust into, which isn't their position right. because there's no one feeling it. Right. And it's, it, it makes it that much more important for us to take responsibility as community members. I'm not waiting. The imam is supposed to lead me in the salah. The imam is supposed to educate me religiously. The imam is supposed to give me some guidance when, when I need it for this or that, whether it's a good situation or a bad situation that I'm in. You know, but it's not the imam's responsibility to address each and every one of my social needs. 100%. It's our responsibility to say, yeah, imam, I have this skill. Can I get involved? 100%. And that's very, and I'm glad that you brought it up because that's a lot of people's, you know, misconception about the imams or shifts, like that they're, they're the psychologists, they're the doctors, they're the, you know, the, the, the mental counselors, they're, they're like everything, but that's not their, that's yeah. not, that's not them. Yeah. Maybe some of them are, yes. and it just so happens to be the men, but for the most part, that's not them. And, and I'm glad that you mentioned that because it's true because, you know, we're ummah, right? That's so, right. you know, community, uh, whatever you want to call it, it's every person has to put their part in to make this almost successful to and so everyone has to step up so that's i remember me personally when i worked with mohsen uh and they reached out to me to be their interpreter for their umrah group i right away after that because that was probably one of the most rewarding experiences i had uh being an, uh, an interpreter for my parents as mind you for for umrah and this other deaf brother i told myself okay he, me being at the IC at NYU, I said, okay, I have to go and bring this up to, to the imam there. And it turns out three deaf brothers decided to join us uh, on our last year's Umrah trip. And it was definitely just as much rewarding as for me was like for them. It, they, it, it, it's life changing, you know, and, and all it takes is one person to say, hey, X, Y, and Z, can I, can I help out? Can I do this? Hey, I know this. I, can I do this? And, I, and, and also... It's also possible that, you know, the dynamics of the masjid plays a role because not every board member or not every imam is very approaching yes, on these matters. That's right. So that's, I'm pretty sure there are people out there that want to like step up and help out and, and, and bring their skills to the table. But that's also an issue. That's also a factor that, that. This is true. They're not always welcoming. They are not. And so we, we need to work on both sides, right? It's the responsibility of the IMA to accept us when we show up right. wanting to contribute. Because you can't, as an imam, you can't always have your finger on the pulse of every need of the community. Just because it doesn't occur to you as an imam that the community has a need doesn't mean that you shouldn't dismiss it. Say, oh, well, well why do we need a, a deaf interpreter? We don't, I can't think of why we need it, so we don't need it. Why do we need someone for, you know, why do we need a ramp for people with wheelchairs or anything like that? I can't think of why we need it, so we must not need it. Why do we need a substance abuse counselor here? I can't think of why we need it, so we don't need it. You know what I mean? And, and so to, to get out of that mindset, I had an imam say to me, I gave the, the khutbah on once, um, not beating yourself up in Islam when you make mistakes because it makes you more vulnerable to making the same mistake again, right. as opposed to trying to learn from the mistake, gaining from the wisdom of Allah trying you in this way, and all of these different things, and to be careful of confusing humility with low self-esteem. And the Imam, he was like, he said to me after listening to the khutbah, he said, 
thank you for addressing this issue because for him, he said, for me, I don't have low, low self-esteem and I can never understand why people would beat themselves up. But listening to you talk about it, I understand even though it is not my issue and I can't even begin to wrap my head around why someone would do it. I understand that these people are out there. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so sometimes it's a, it's about working with the Emma to try to drive home and deliver the message to them. Not that they would understand it the first time or the second time or the third time, but that we continue to be persistent. So can you talk about some of the misconceptions that you found exist in the Muslim community around the deaf community? I think, you know, there's a misconception that people just have in general about uh, the deaf community. One thing is that it's a, there's a universal sign language. Ah, yes. And that's completely false. And subhanAllah, just like how Allah, well, Allah created everybody to be different. And that's one of the uniqueness about us, right? As humans, as, as the Ummah, that we're all unique. We all come from different backgrounds, different cultures. Obviously, people who are deaf bring something different. So within their own community, they also have similar thing and they have different sign languages. So each country has their own different sign language. And, then, and the reason why I explained it that way, because people would always say, well, wouldn't it, be just, wouldn't it be just easier just to, I can say the same thing, like, wouldn't it be just easier if we all just spoke one language? <laughs> it's the same concept, you know? And like I said, I don't want people to be fixated on the, the concept of like, okay, they're deaf. No, they're just a different culture, a different, Excuse me. Uh, they bring something different. So, for instance, my father, uh, when he first came to this country, he didn't know American Sign Language. He knew Egyptian Arabic Sign Language, and while my mother knew American Sign, because she grew up in school here. Uh, so that was one thing that my father had to face. It was language barrier because he didn't know how to read and write English. He only knew how to read and write Arabic. And not only that, he couldn't even communicate to the people that that yeah. that he could that could possibly understand him. Yeah. So every country has their own different sign language. Whether you're in Pakistan, China, even England, England has completely different sign between us. Even though it's still English. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Another thing is not every deaf person can lip read. Ah. And not, now some can right but i think it's it, well, i don't think I, it's not proper etiquette to be the first thing that you ask the deaf person can you lip read because it's bad enough that they're already trying to work hard just yeah. to, to, to try to get to communicate now you have to now they have to work twice as hard just to try to look and try to fix your look because not everyone mouths out their words yeah. some people just just talk like this yeah. and not even move their mouth <laughs> so that's one thing it's 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 they're trying to, they're already, like I said, they're already finding difficulty to understand you. Come meet them halfway yeah. and try to find a way to communicate with them. Whether it's texting, showing them, or writing on something on a piece of paper. You know, that's one thing. But those, like I said, that's, those are the two things that are very common misconceptions people have. And obviously the main one is that they can't do certain things. No, they can do anything except here. Or that they're not smart. That's another thing, right. and, that, and that, 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 like, like I said, they look down upon them, thinking that they're not able to, to like I said, perform certain things yeah. that people can do. And like I said, looking at my parents, they proved a lot of people yeah. that they knew wrong, even close family members, even close friends who, who were hearing, they proved them wrong. Alhamdulillah. Like I said, if I wouldn't be here, 
getting my, you know, alhamdulillah, graduated, got my master's from, from New York, or my sister doing what she's doing, if it wasn't for how my parents raised me, you know what I'm saying? If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be able, and you know, by the grace of Allah, like, we wouldn't be in the position that we're in right now. So if, if there was any way that the Muslims could, uh, you know, learn some simple sign language, ways to communicate uh, with the people they encounter, what could they do or where could they go? So if people want to learn ASL, American Sign Language, they can go online. There's so many videos on YouTube, just like if you want to learn any language, they're all over YouTube. You can go to, I think, if you can just type in Google ASL Pro, there's a, a list of words, like in the dictionary, and they have somebody to sign. So, you know, just basic signs, basic, like, you know, words so to know so when you come across somebody who is deaf like I said you can make them feel welcome make them feel at ease by you knowing some signs so you can start a conversation just to talk to help them you know you know feel at ease to help them and like be immersed into the, the community it's that what when someone meets you with your language you feel welcome just like how we would feel if we were in another country and we meet the one other brother who speaks English on the musalla it's like we're best friends now right. like <laughs> or even if that person who's making an effort to yeah. learn English to that's help right. you that's right so going back on the different sign language across the world, yes. alhamdulillah, similar concepts with us as hearing people, there is, a, there is one universal sign. And those are the terminology or the signs that are used for Islam, Got it. right? So just like you and I, Arabic is not our first language, mm -hmm. correct? So we speak English, but when we converse and I say, inshallah, you automatically know what I mean. Or if you meet a brother who is from China, and you say, Assalamu Alaikum or Inshallah or Alhamdulillah, they'll know exactly what you mean, Correct. right? There's the same concept within the deaf community where there are universal signs for the for the exact terminology that I just expressed, right? Yeah. So if I want to say Allah, if I want to sign the the word Quran or Alhamdulillah, Mashallah, SubhanAllah, Allahu Akbar, people from different parts of the globe will understand those signs. And that's one thing, that's one of the beauty of Islam because that's kind of what brings people from different parts of the world who are Muslim together is through Islam, correct? Can you talk about how having your hearing has had a spiritual religious impact on you growing up? We take a lot of things in general for granted. And you don't realize it. You don't realize the value until you, until you lose it. And alhamdulillah, Allah, you know, I'm healthy. And alhamdulillah, Allah gave me my health. And Allah gave me my parents' health. But seeing the things that my parents can't experience kind of reinforce, you know, my gratefulness to Allah. And I hope it doesn't sound like in a mean way, but it's because I feel like my parents were put in our lives as a reminder for me and my sister, you know, and obviously seeing their experience and being part of their experiences definitely reinforced that. So obviously I definitely uh, don't take my hand for granted, nor my eyesight, nor my any other senses. So one thing that people, and I even myself, I struggle and I hope, inshallah, that Allah will, will give them that experience one day, is listen to the Quran. So, so my father, you know, subhanAllah, like my father kind of knows when I'm, when like, when we're listening to Quran in the car because based off the vibration, yeah. you know, so he's like, you listen to Quran? I was like, yeah. And you know, him growing up in Egypt, seeing like, you know, one of the famous reciters recite on TV and you know, and I'm all my family sitting there and I'm listening, you know, my dad just knew that whatever he's saying, this is powerful. It, and, and it has to do with Allah. Yeah.
you know, and growing up, you know, that's what my father, you know, my daddy, like I said, the la- he had a, there was a big gap of education in regards to his deen, but he understood Allah. So he saw that he he always connected Quran with Allah. So that's one thing, or like hearing the event hearing the call to wow. prayer or hearing the person recite Quran while in prayer you know him having to stand in prayer in silence yeah you know sure my father memorized Quran and he he re- you know he recites in his way it's still something that I look at I'm like man this is something that I should be thankful for, that we should all should be thankful oh. for you know because hearing is like I said you don't realize how valuable your hearing is till you lose it till you get old in age or something happens to you God forbid you know and we don't and we walk around not appreciating it we hear the event and we talk over it uh, we hear the comment and we're playing around we don't and we're adults not children we're, we're, you know what I mean and or we don't take time to listen to the Quran and Allah he says this you know that that all of our body parts are going to speak for us you know what I mean and that Allah had given us something that we didn't we didn't use it to the best of its ability to the best of Allah's favor that he created it for alhamdulillah it's just a reminder not to overlook it there are people who were not given the gifts that we were given and who are so desirous of it right and, and, and the one thing that I remember my father said every day, so like I said earlier, I was fortunate enough to be the interpreter from Wasson and be there, be my, my parents, you know, vehicle to, to their spiritual journey to Umrah. Alhamdulillah, and that was probably one of the best, that was one of the best, you know, bonding I could ever have with my parents. And I guess that day we were in Medina and we're in the Masjid in Medina and we're sitting and and if anybody who's been to Medina know that that's like the place of tranquility you know everyone everywhere you're at in this world you always go you have your stresses you have your concerns you got your you know but when you're in Medina you don't think about any of that stuff so subhanAllah my father told me that every day that he's he's obviously being reminded that he's deaf you know it's inevitable he's going to be reminded but he said the only time that he was never reminded or he was when he was in medina and subhanallah that that could also be that could also answer one of your questions of how they cultivated their iman definitely that trip to umrah was definitely an immense cultivation to their their iman i know especially from my mother you know, praying next to the Prophet Muhammad you know, being there, visiting him and the, and the companions. I know my mother was very emotional. So all these things, and like I said, having that interpreting, having me as their interpreter, or it could have been anybody, but obviously they, as their son, yes. to be able to bridge that, to explain that, definitely answer answered your question to how they cultivate their iman. It took them a while, yeah. but... But you talk so much about them being able to cultivate their iman and have such a strong connection and faith and belief in Allah without having all of this religious knowledge. And to me, that's such a reminder that you don't have to be a scholar right. to love Allah. You don't have to be a scholar to be devoted to Allah. Right. You know what I mean? And so, of course, knowledge is important in Islam. Right. Um, but at the same time, if you are not knowledgeable, it's not a reason for you not to draw nearer to Allah. Because, like I said, growing up, my sister and I, we didn't go to Islamic schools. You know, we learned Islam based off what our parents or what my father told me, because he was probably the most knowledgeable one that's outside from my mother. But they both didn't have 
have, I guess, the traditional Islamic learning. You know, my father learned Islam based off just looking at what his family did. Okay, that's when you pray, they know that's bad, that's good. Don't do that, that's, that's gonna anger Allah, don't do that, because that's gonna make shaitan happy if you do yeah. the haram. So it, it was very basic. But alhamdulillah, because over time things improved, things, you know, with technology, my father, you know, got most of his knowledge and his understanding of the deen from uh, dawah groups that cater to deaf communities in the Middle East. So they would, so they would share most of their dawah, or they would host halakha, they would have videos, but it would be in Arabic sign language. Yeah. And my father would take that and obviously share that with my mother. And then sometimes, and my mother, and my mother would travel to Egypt very often, so she would go and sit in these classes with them. And then when myself, when I uh, started getting much more involved in my community and seeking more knowledge, I was able to share that, and we would all have our own little circles of knowledge and sharing of knowledge as well. Now, how did your parents learn to communicate with each other, given that they they uh, assigned in two different languages? Oh well, no. In the beginning, my father didn't know American sign language, but now over time, know, my father learned. I mean, I oh, it was story. my father knew. He knew a little. little. He knew a little American and sign there's language. Nothing like a woman that you like to motivate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. To learn. Definitely. <laughs> it's funny you say that. Cause I'm just thinking about like the stories of how my dad met her. And, but basically, my mother. One of the things that my my what made my dad like gravitate to my mother is because my mother helped him out and helped him out to do the things that he needed to do uh, yeah, to she you know so it was definitely support because my mother worked for social security uh, so that was one of the things like she's like hey look you know you need to get x y and z done you need to yeah. do that you need to do that you need to make sure you know you have that taken care of so my father saw that you know like i said my mother she she brings she's the caring aspect of our family not, not saying my father's not yeah, caring yeah. but that's exactly. one of the things so yeah. so that thing that bridged a gap and you know it kept a well-balanced relationship between the two and they've been since alhamdulillah like 30 plus years uh, jazakallah khair for spending so much time with me today alhamdulillah so so people that are watching can definitely take this with with them in their homes and share it with their families and friends for sure may Allah award you and continue to bless you and your family alhamdulillah Allah